You are listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more information about this show, as well as the other show I do, How to Stan, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com and subscribe to my newsletter at howtostan.substack.com. K-pop interviews, album reviews, and more. Subscribing is free, but if you want to continue to support my work, feel free to donate. Click the support the show button on the homepage at 17karatkpop.weebly.com. Hi everybody, welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Quick PSA before we dive into the headlines of the week. At howtostand.substack.com, where you can sign up for my free newsletter, my latest pieces are up, featuring my best of September picks, the top 20 countdown from the corresponding episode, but it also just adds new commentary and more thought to each individual release, as well as links to playlists so you can save all the songs and videos I discussed on the Best of September episode of the show. That is now a piece on my Substack. Also on my Substack now, the September episode guide. So if you missed any of the How to Stand coverage or any of the 17 Karat K-pop episodes from the past month, links to and descriptions of all of that is now part of that new post. The lower part of that post is sources and additional reading, which is just a part of my episode guide. So at the end of every episode guide, if you're really into the topics that were discussed in those episodes, and you want to read more about them, I direct you to both sources I overtly quoted in my episodes and ones that I just recommend for further reading. For example, I mentioned on my true crime episode of How to Stand the data around women being more drawn to true crime than men. If you want to read that study for yourself, that is one of the links you can follow in that part of the post. Okay, with that out of the way, let's dive into today's news stories, starting with BTS's continued Love Myself campaign with UNICEF. UNICEF just published their latest report. It's called The State of the World's Children 2021. And while there are some concerning data points in there about the mental health of children around the world, lack of access to education, and other concerning stats as a result of the pandemic, There are some silver linings about kids' resilience and desire to, motivation to, find the silver linings. And BTS has definitely contributed to that push since their campaign started with UNICEF in 2017. The report reveals BTS's Love Myself campaign has raised $3.6 million for UNICEF because of merch proceeds as well as a portion of Love Yourself album series proceeds. The campaign has also been tweeted about over 5 million times and has gotten over 50 million Twitter engagements. And remember, this is just on Twitter, not counting any other social media or real-world instances of people talking about this campaign. And this doesn't even factor into the $1 million BTS has pledged to UNICEF earlier this year. BTS's statement says, quote, We started Love Myself as a way to reach young people and help improve their lives and rights. During the process, we also strove to love myself ourselves, and we as a team and as individuals grew as well. We hope that many people felt how the love received from others can become the power that allows them to love themselves. We hope that the Love Myself message can continue to serve to invigorate everyone's lives. 
We will be honored if all seven of us can continue this campaign to return the amazing love that we have received and give people the strength to come closer to love myself. We hope to keep doing what we are doing and voice what we are voicing so we can help people find happiness and love, unquote. Similarly touching, the statement from UNICEF's executive director, Henrietta Four. Quote, when it comes to promoting self-esteem and improving mental well-being, one of the most important things you can do is just to start the conversation. The groundbreaking way in which BTS has helped spark a positive message with its army is simply unmatched and incredibly invaluable. We are thankful for all the work the band has done to lead this important initiative and for all of their support for UNICEF in the last four years. So that is just an objectively beautiful, wonderful story. Best headline of the week. Now let's get to some more debatably good news, because the music site Pitchfork has gone on a semi-official rescoring project. They recently decided to revisit older album reviews. The staff then changed 19 of those album scores and just released an article, which I will link to on my site, breaking down the rationale for changing those scores in hindsight today. The statement says, quote, These adjustments are born out of conversations we have all the time here on staff, much like the conversations you, our dear opinionated reader, have as well. They are hypothetical, which is to say, not canon, but rather a fun little diversion, unquote. So they're basically saying, okay, we hear you, this deserved better or this deserved worse. So we're going to add some edits to our original scores, but just for this piece. But officially it sounds like Pitchfork's history has those original scores still assigned to those albums. Let me share some of the rescorings and explanations for them. And then I'll give my takes and my K-pop version of this. First of all, Grimes' album from 2020, Miss Anthropocene, went down from a score of 8.2 to 6.9. This downgraded score is apparently because, quote, she sounds like a carbon copy of herself, faded and less defined. The same problem as poorly written screenplays, things just happen with no service to the overall story, unquote. Lana Del Rey's Born to Die went from a 5.5 to a 7.8 now. Quote, I set out for a long drive, slid a burn CD in the player, and realized the open road feels like a born to die. All smooth, glossy surface, in the riskiest danger around, the future looks pitch black, and you glide right in. Unquote. Daft Punk's Discovery went from a 6.4 to a 10. Quote, this is the review often quoted at me by any person who's ever cornered me at a party for a diatribe about the futility of music criticism. I don't disagree. If scores are meant to indicate a work's longevity or impact, the original review is invalidated by this historic record. Unquote. Prince's Musicology album rose from a 5.8 to a score of 7.8. Quote, I was not surprised at all that Pitchfork's 2004 review of Musicology was pretty lukewarm. It's cool to like Prince now, and this was arguably not the case in 2004, which is a shame because this late career album is a major masterpiece on a minor scale. Unquote. Lastly, Charlie XCX's Vroom Vroom went from a 4.5 to a 7.8. Quote, 
At the time, many critics seemed to be paranoid about PC Music's motives. Nervous that they'd been bamboozled, they obsessed over whether a pop experiment was either satire or sincere. Okay, I have a few thoughts on these, then I'll get to the K-pop edition. First of all, this is what I go on a diatribe about all the time on this show and on How to Stand. What they call PC music, why I love Charlie XCX and similar artists. The artists who take computer game sounding music, intentionally auto-tuned vocals, electronic everything, and turn it into pop music. And over the years, I think artists like Charlie have failed to gain credibility as much as they deserve because, like that reviewer says, people are like, wait, is this satire? You're making music where you're singing about vroom vroom, let's ride? And the short answer is yes. There is a whole genre, a whole sub-genre of pop that is the cyber pop, hyper pop, whatever you want to call it. It takes bubblegum pop tropes and just relishes in them and electronifies them, and that in itself is cool and innovative in some ways and very catchy. So I definitely appreciate the boost for the Poptimist movement. The Musicology and Daft Punk Discovery reviews are really interesting as they look back at those albums as more definitive in those artists' careers in hindsight. Which gets to my picks. Feel free to let me know on social media. But I was thinking, okay, if you decided to go back and reevaluate officially your feelings about your review of certain K-pop albums. Which ones down the road now do you look at way differently, for better or for worse? So, for example, for me, like I was talking about in the Best of September episode, I would now, in hindsight, put Key's debut album, Face, down a few pegs to keep the distance broad between Face and his new album, Bad Love. Because Bad Love shows leaps and bounds of creative growth. Similarly, I would create distance now between my reviews of Stray Kids' early albums and the newer stuff. Go Live, No Easy, etc. The growth, the difference in impact of those projects, it's just massive. And then it's interesting with the Lana Del Rey review, how in hindsight that author is saying, I didn't realize how much of an atmosphere it was, and how influential her aesthetic and her vibe was. And it really was. Not to say it's irrelevant now, but she really had this heavy influence on the Tumblr aesthetics and stuff of a certain generation. And I feel like that will be the case with other albums in hindsight, how much they defined us. And now with the Grimes album review, longtime listeners know I'm super biased, I love Grimes music. But in hindsight, I guess what I would agree with is that Misanthropocene was great, but it should have some more distance from Art Angels, which was a masterpiece. And also, I was a little disappointed by one aspect of Misanthropocene, which is that it was teased as this cohesive story. This story about a persona, this climate change-related goddess. So I was ready for a sci-fi, social commentary-riddled adventure. And so that seemed very misleading in hindsight. So maybe it was hyped up in my mind way too much. Just relatively speaking, and compared to her other work, I love it all, but still. So what do you think? What are certain K-pop artists' work that you might downgrade, give a lower grade than critics seem to, or a higher grade? Maybe because in hindsight, wow, it really defined a K-pop era. Shiny's Adai era comes to mind there. Or wow, it was underrated. 
it was brushed aside as too cutesy or too bubblegum. Luna comes to mind. Maybe you would give it a different grade now because aesthetically it really created a whole vibe, a whole scene, and deserves more props for that. The cohesive atmosphere of it all. That's why, let me bore my longtime listeners by ranting about this for the upteenth time, Zetao's album The Road is an absolute masterpiece. I think some stand out more than people realize. Like, truly, EXO's Exodus album? Really beyond compare. Red Velvet's albums, I think, also deserve a second look. Critics should probably boost those a bit. Because they really do have a lot of songs that are the usual cutesy stuff, but also very jazzy or dance pop or R&B-esque songs. And their B-sides are both more varied than I think critics give them credit for. And just super catchy. I mean, Mr. E from Summer Magic, or You Better Know from The Red Summer, fantastic. Alright, let's move on to topic three. There's an interesting new way of promoting through the Weavers app. There is already a Weavers community for fans of a group that has not debuted yet. It's called Who is Princess? So I'm assuming the final group will be called Princess. FNC Music Japan is behind this, which makes me think they're trying to do what JYP Entertainment did with Niju. Like this will be J-pop music with a K-pop style to it or vice versa. But over the course of four months, 15 different trainees will be presented to people following this Weaver's channel. Five winners will ultimately form the new group based on input in Weaver's. So comment on who you want to have stay and comment nicely about who you'd rather see go. That to me, I think, is what the future of fandom is all about. Tons of interactive elements, input every step of the way from fans. I mean, it's always been a thing with scene competition shows that you vote on and stuff, but with today's internet and usage of social media, the internet culture of today is just really letting this kind of stuff thrive. These interactive and parasocial relationship-driven activities. Story number four, the Fact Music Awards. My picks for the best performances from it. First of all, you'll be shocked to hear, I think 17 was the best with Ready to Love, and then going for a darker look for anyone. The B-side that I love is getting the single treatment it deserves. They are just so charismatic as always, and their performance also stood out because with Esku starting and ending transitions in the center, having the camera on him, it was just a nice touch to have the leader there. We talked about that on a past episode of the show, how even the member's placement is something they keep in mind, when trying to tell a story through dance. So paying attention to those details really pays off and tells a bigger story, leads to more appreciation of their work. The other best performance pick from me, Stacy. I think with all of those backup dancer cheerleaders, the formations with them, the gold pom-poms, super cool, some after-school vibes, just because I love when artists do this thing where they take one prop, like a cane, a top hat, pom-poms, whatever, and choreograph a whole routine around it. Really impressive job. And they are also quite charming. I can see why Stacey is being called Super Rookies. Oh, one more. I do want to give a shout-out to a performance that stood out to me was Red Light by Stray Kids. I think Hyunjin and Bang Chang's energy and their performance kind of mirroring each other is just really incredible. 
tells a really powerful story, and I'm so glad that San is, again, a B-side, getting the single treatment and so much support. I did like the concept the marionette doll thing Moonbin had done, but I will acknowledge the similarities that were clear to Arashi member Ono Satoshi's 2017 and 18 tour performance, which was acknowledged then by the award show, in a statement basically saying the production company messed up and didn't tell us they just copied what they saw then. But I will say, I think with dance, there are a lot of little details in a performance that can make it stand out, even if the broader concept, like a marionette doll, is the same. Like how there were comparisons drawn between Red Velvet's ice cream cake and Blackpink's ice cream choreo, but the broad theme lends itself to certain hand motions and dance moves. So I'm just saying, it can get a little murky when you're trying to say someone stole your move. It can really take its own unique creative spin very quickly, even if at its core it's identical. Not sure I'm wording my argument right, I just think there is something to be said for drawing inspiration from other performances and knowing when you outright copied versus drew from them can get tricky, but I digress. You want to know the winners now, don't you? I'm just going to run through some really quick. BTS, ATs, Astro, Kane Daniel, Brave Girls, The Boys, Oh My Girl, ITZY, N-Hyphen, TXT, Stray Kids, Super Junior, Weekly, Cravity, Stacy, Huang Chi Yul, Lim Yun Woon, Jun Yu Jin, and Best Performers and Artist of the Year, Seventeen. Last big story before rapid fire headlines. Tons more live in-person entertainment has been scheduled. It's funny because with Western X, they're saying, yes, we can finally go back on tour. See ya in summer 2022. But with K-pop, it's like, we will be here next week. Get there. Anyway, so they are already jumping back into this as quickly as always for the world of K-pop. Monster X has joined the Jingle Ball lineup for four stops. It also includes Saweetie, the Jonas Brothers, Bozzy, Megan the Stallion, the Black Eyed Peas, many others. Criminally, Dua Lipa and Monster X are both not going to the Chicago stop. But Monster X will be at four locations on the Jingle Ball Tour. Philadelphia, D.C., Atlanta, and Miami. Visit iHeartRadio's site or Ticketmaster for more information. Also in the USA, P1 Harmony is here. They have been in New York lately, but they are going down to San Diego for a live performance in Balboa Park October 23rd as part of Korea Day, hosted by the Korean Cultural Center LA and House of Korea. This event is open to the public, so you can just come and watch P1 Harmony from 3 to 8 p.m. And Very Very announced their first ever USA tour. It starts in LA December 5th, then it goes to Phoenix, Dallas, Houston, St. Louis, Fort Wayne, Cleveland, Harrisburg, and it ends in New York December 20th. Just a 15-day tour, short and sweet, and also criminally skipping Chicago. For fans from other countries, there are still a ton of live streams you can check out. Sunmi will have her first online concert October 30th through Weverse at 2 p.m. Korean Standard Time, which is, I believe, 12 a.m. Central Time. 
Dreamcatcher also has a show October 30th. Theirs is at 3 p.m. Korean time, 1 a.m. Central time. Through My Music Taste, It's Naturally, a Halloween-themed show, and tickets are on sale now. Yoon and Mino from Winner have separate solo live shows coming up, although both will be performed and filmed from Olympic Hall in Seoul. Mino's show will be live-streamed November 19th, and Yoon's November 21st. One the K's YouTube channel has a show being live-streamed this Sunday, October 10th, 7 to 9 p.m. Korean Standard Time, which is 5 to 7 a.m. Central Time. Featuring NCT127, Brave Girls, ITZY, Rain, and LaBoom. Lastly, KBS World TV on YouTube has a massive streaming schedule for the month of October. Each of these concert compilations can be viewed at 10 p.m. Korean time each night on the schedule, which is 8 a.m. Central Time Zone. So here it is. Get a pen and paper out. October 11th, that KBS World YouTube livestream concert compilation is BTS. October 12th, Baekhyun. 13th, 17. Perfect. 14, G-Friend. 15, Mamamoo. 18, XO. 19, Day 6. 20, Girls' Generation. 21, Twice. The 22nd, Golden Child. The 25th, Super Junior. The 26th, The Boys, the 27th, ATs, the 28th, Infinite, and the 29th, Akmu. Alright, now for a ton of miscellaneous rapid-fire headlines. The latest COVID updates, June from Ace just tested positive. As of recording time, his bandmates are still awaiting test results. A drama starring Minghyun from New East and Arine from Oh My Girl has temporarily halted filming due to a staff member testing positive. Some 17 updates. Mingyu helped promote this No Time to Die James Bond pop-up exhibition in Seoul, looking incredible in a black suit. A lot of TV show appearances coming up. Soon Guan is the special MC for Funstrant's 100th episode special. He and Vernon were just on the show My Little Old Boy. He's also set to join Mingyu on an upcoming episode of Amazing Saturday. The whole band is set to be guests on Ask Us Anything soon. They were also set to star on an upcoming episode of Knowing Brothers. And it sounds like they still will film that, but the date is TBA now, because filming had to be postponed after a staff member on Knowing Brothers tested positive for COVID. SM Entertainment recently released a statement confirming, yes, Win-Win from Wavy slash NCT did start his own company, but he's staying in Wavy, he's still part of NCT, don't freak out, but they said the rumors are true. He did set up a studio now for Chinese promotions, but they say this is designed to promote his acting. Sinning will stay the same. This new venture is for his acting career solely. A new company has two big new clients. Big Planet Made, BPM, just signed Soyu, and then a brand new group with three former members of G-Friend, back together in a delightful surprise. Unha, Shinbi, and Umji will now be a three-member group under this company. Park Soham has left the band K&K. He's actually been with them since 2016. 
Sanjay from B2B was discharged early from the military due to their COVID policy, meaning that once you go on your last vacation time, you're not supposed to return to the base. Meanwhile, Pentagon's Jinho will be discharged November 14th. There are special interim DJs for the program Kiss the Radio, filling in for these three weeks following Yun K's enlistment in the military. So the host of this program from October 11th to 15th will be Soon Min from Stray Kids. 16th and 17th will then be Kino from Pentagon. The 18th through the 24th, Ju Chan from Golden Child. Then the 25th to the 31st, TXT members will take turns hosting. Don Wu from Infinite just signed with Big Boss Entertainment. The latest virtual KCON stats are in. For context, fall 2020 viewership was 4.4 million. Summer 2020, 4.8 million. So more in the summertime. But this fall, more than both of those, 5 million people tuned in. Also interesting context, Last summer, this virtual KCON, K-Contact, reached people in 152 countries. This time, people tuned in from 168 countries. Word-of-mouth marketing, even during a pandemic, is incredible. Joe Yuri now has a solo fandom name, Glassy, because Yuri actually means glass in Korean, and Glassy is also the name of her debut solo single. Espa will make their Western TV debut and Kelly Clarkson show debut October 15th. Taeyeon SoundCloud surpassed 26 million cumulative streams and 1.1 million cumulative likes. And Hyphen's upcoming album, Dimension Dilemma, special episode about that coming very soon, wink wink, doubled their previous pre-order record and as of recording time has surpassed 910,000 pre-orders. Almost a million. Espa's new mini-album, Savage, topped iTunes in 17 regions, surpassed 400,000 pre-orders, and the music video, as of recording time, reached 50 million views. GOT7's Yun Jae released his solo album, which topped iTunes in 21 regions. The album, by Blackpink, is certified silver in the UK. BTS's latest record, they are now the first group to ever debut five songs at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, thanks to their Coldplay collab, My Universe. They are also the fastest group to reach six number ones on that Billboard chart. Since the Beatles. Reaching 1 million views, Ace's Changer, 2 million views on F-Hero, Your Boy TJ, and Mini from G-Idol's collab, Money Honey, underrated iconic pairing. 20 million views, Hyena and Dawn's Ping Pong, 50 million views reached on Congratulations by Day 6, 100 million streams on La Lisa by Lisa, the fastest K-pop solo album to reach that. 200 million views reached on Killing Me by Icon, 300 million views reached on both August D's Dechita and J-Hope and Becky G's Chicken Noodle Soup. Next week, lots of N-hyphen coverage, as well as another group I haven't talked about enough yet. Plus more news, lots of exciting interviews coming up and other exciting stuff on my show and newsletter, so stay tuned, I'm coming back very soon. But real quick while I still have your attention, today's book recommendation is The Loneliest Americans by J. Caspian Kang. Make sure you pre-order it now. Quote, 
The Loneliest Americans is the unforgettable story of Kang and his family as they move from a housing project in Cambridge to an idyllic college town in the South and eventually to the West Coast. Their story unfolds against the backdrop of a rapidly expanding Asian America as millions more immigrants, many of them working class or undocumented, stream into the country. At the same time, upwardly mobile urban professionals have struggled to reconcile their parents' assimilationist goals with membership in a multicultural elite, all while trying to carve out a new kind of beginning for their own children, who are neither white nor truly quote-unquote people of color. King recognizes this existential loneliness in himself and in other Asian Americans who try to locate themselves in the country's racial binary. He calls for a new form of immigrant solidarity, one rooted not in bubble tea and elite college admissions, but in the struggles of refugees and the working class. Sounds like an essential, interesting read, so that is my pick for you today. It's called The Loneliest Americans. Thank you all, as always, for listening. Talk to you all again super soon. Bye!